Hey, I'm Adam. I'm Brian. Of Everyone Has a Podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 96, Ready Player One Movie Review. This is Chris McBrien along with caveman Derek Myers. This is Pop Goes Your World. If you like Ready Player One, the movie, you're going to love this episode, hopefully, because we're going to talk all about it this week. But before we get into that, make sure you reach out to us on Twitter at C McBrien for myself or at Amaron underscore DM for Derek. And you can always go to popgoesyourworld.com for all of our information there. Derek Myers, what is new in the world of pop culture, my friend? Hey, Chris. Uh, the Oscars have happened since our last recording. They did. That is probably the biggest pop culture news. Any uh, takeaways from it? I've got something I'd like to mention about it, but any takeaways for you? Um, well, we had our little uh, Oscar pool going, and yeah. although we had a lot of the same selections, you ended up beating me by one. Yes. So It was 16 to 15. You, yep. My Thank hat's you. off to you, sir. You have all of the friend credit, yep. uh, the bragging rights. You have earned them by one. <laughs> uh, yep. It came down to, we had a lot of the same picks. Like, I mean, out of 24, I think we had 19 picks the same. We had five yeah. different. And so it, when I was keeping track the night of, I've got both ballots because, you know, this we're nerds and we like this stuff. And it came down to um, original screenplay. And I picked uh, Green Book and you went with the favorite and I was able to win that one. Uh, any big surprises for you? Were you surprised by Best Picture? I was. I was, yeah. I I really didn't expect Green Book. There's a lot of political behind the scenes, raw rock. Uh, that was sort of dogging this film green book and the the prevailing theory was that it was going to prevent it from winning but at the end of the day it ended up winning and uh roma did not roma was the favorite uh it did not win um bohemian rhapsody i thought actually started to gain a lot of steam towards oscar night especially with uh, remy malik winning for his portrayal of freddie mercury uh, um it didn't win either, and we ended up with Green Book. So I, th- I think this is one of those ones where five years from now, we're going to look back and we're going to see the nominees, and we're going to go, really, Green Book? That's the one that won? But know. for now, it is what it is. I think Green Book won for uh, because it makes some of these voters feel better, you know, to yeah. vote for a movie like that, even though, like the movie's not very good. Um, also, how does the movie win Best Picture and it's not up for directing? It's not even nominated for directing. It's just that doesn't even make any sense to me. And so that was a bit of a surprise, I thought. I thought Romo was going to win as well. And I'll be honest with you, I was a little bit like I knew, and my pick was for Best Actor, that uh, Remy Malek would win. He was on my ballot, and, you know, I was right, because the the, the Oscar pool is all about who's going to win, right? But it's, right. he didn't deserve to win that, because, like, I don't know. And, and watching his speech, it kind of solidified it for me. And this is coming from a, a position, you know, anyone that listens to this podcast knows I, I absolutely love Freddie Mercury. I love Queen. They're like my favorite band of all time. And so you would think going into this movie, I'd love this movie. I'd love everything about it. And I just did. Right. Um, but his portrayal, I thought he was kind of weird in the movie. And then when I saw him, like I'd never really seen him speak just as himself. And he was up there and he gave his speech. Uh, and I realized he's kind of, he's, he's kind of a weirdo. 
Like he's a, <laughs> he's kind of a weirdo. And really all he was doing was just playing himself as this kind of weirdo guy. And I don't know. I just I was shocked. I think Christian Bale like <laughs> just transformed himself. Yeah. And but hey, you know, what do I know? I just I thought it was a bit weird. And in the other thing that kind of stuck out to me too, I guess in terms of the I know this is weird to talk about like editing awards at the Oscars because they tend to be like, you know, smaller awards or something that people don't really care about that much. But the sound editing and the sound mixing, I get Bohemian Rhapsody. I picked both of those, you know, properly. I get both of those. I guess the sound was okay. But the film editing, Bohemian Rhapsody film editing, really? Like, what? The, what, what they, they edited out all the, the gay parts. <laughs> like, it was like, like, is that what they won the Academy Award for? I thought, well, I thought, I thought as a film buff, I felt that the film editing in Bohemian Rhapsody was actually not very good at all. But maybe it's just me. Well, I think part of it is there's a lot of uh, controversy surrounding uh, the direction by Brian Singer. Apparently, he he didn't actually do a lot of the directing. He got sort of kicked off the movie by the end of it due to various allegations. So what I've been hearing and what I was reading after the Oscars was you ended up having a director who didn't direct big chunks of the movie and you still had to salvage the movie. So the fact that it actually had some cohesion by the end of it spoke to the ability of the editors to basically save the sinking ship before it sinks kind of thing. So if you think of it from that point of view, sure. Give yeah, them the award. I guess that makes sense. You know, I guess I, I don't know if it makes it Oscar worthy, but it's a really good point on yours. Uh, okay. So are you ready to get started with our movie this week? Absolutely. Let's do it. Uh, here we go. Hold on. I got I got to open a beer. I got to have a beer. I need to take a big swig of mine. (laughs) Let's have a drink because this is going to be a lot of fun. Almost like a pirate radio guy during the war. (laughs) I just go back and watch Meatballs and Stripes and Spokey the Bandit and all those shows that I love. Instead of playing a bar, they should have played like a minor league hockey arena. Yeah. Jesus, young man. Drive me crazy with this stuff. And that wasn't cool. Long duck dong. For those of you who have not been keeping count, I have. Jaws, Star Wars, and Raiders of the Lost Ark are my three favorite movies of all time. Holiday rap. Yes. We're going to ring reggaeton for a holy day. Okay, so this week, uh, Kate Man, you nominated uh, a newer movie because you are you are wont to do, you know, and nominating newer movies. I always go with the Gen X stuff. And this one was an interesting one, Ready Player One, uh, Spielberg's movie from uh, 2018. Uh, it's an interesting one because it, it kind of melds sort of new films and it's grounded with a bunch of Gen X stuff in it, too. So this is an interesting one. I'm going to let you kick things off. Why did you pick this movie? What do you like about it? Uh, and why do you feel it was so important to nominate for the podcast and have me watch? All right. So uh, part of the reason I nominated this was it's based on a book of the same name by um, Klein. Uh, I'm blanking on his first name. Is the author Robert Klein, I think. Uh, anyway. Uh, no, that guy was he, an actor from the 70s, I think. No, okay. I can't remember. I'm sorry. It's sort of buggy. Oh, here it is. Ernest Klein. Oh, there you go. can't believe I missed that. Uh, it is one of my all-time favorite books, uh, largely for the, the reason you just mentioned. It, it brings together so much of the pop culture I love. Uh, and it combines it with some sci-fi, and uh, it, the book to me was just fantastic. And when I heard when did they that were book come out, when did, do you uh, know? Only a few years ago. Okay, so it was relatively yeah, new. Too. Yeah, yeah, in the last five to ten years for okay. sure. Um, I want to say 2010, maybe, but that's that's just a guess. The uh, when they heard they were turning it into a movie, I thought, well. This is going to be a big challenge because it's filled with so many references and pop culture references. It could be difficult to do this right if the uh, people who hold the various licensing of these intellectual properties and characters and movies and songs 
don't allow the filmmakers to use the actual real things in the movie. It could hurt the movie. And in some cases, some of the stuff that was integral to the story of in the book, they couldn't get the rights. So the movie had to make some alterations to sort of make the same point but use different pop culture pieces to do it. And I think it succeeded very well. I mean, I think when you get Steven Spielberg directing your movie, uh, he carries a lot of clout. He, he carries a big stick. He can ask for uh, permission to use things that maybe other filmmakers might have more difficulty with. But from what I read uh, after, uh, after I watched the movie again this week, they said they got about 80% of the stuff they were after. And considering how much stuff there was, that was still huge. So, for those who maybe aren't as familiar with the movie or the book, because obviously they're very similar, it takes place in the not-too-distant future, probably about a generation from now ahead, where the vast majority of society happens online. There's a The internet basically becomes like an ultimate virtual reality called the Oasis, and all, uh, all social interaction, all commerce, all education, everything is done through this, this virtual reality. You literally put on your VR goggles and your VR suit and like – Kids go to school in VR. Uh, people work in the VR environment. Also, then you can play and and socialize and all of this stuff. And it's potentially a huge, huge revenue stream. So you have people that want to monetize it and earn uh, and make money off it, and you have other people who just want to, you know, make it a part of their life to either escape their crappy real life or um, to to try and get ahead in some way. And the, essentially the premise is this. At the beginning – I'm going to talk about the book and then I'll sort of bring it in the movie. At the beginning of the book, page one, chapter one, there is a character who's very much like Steve Jobs and he dies. And when he dies, it triggers an email that goes out to everybody who has an email address on the internet gets this email with the link and there's a video to his video will where he basically says I'm one of the richest people that ever lived I created this virtual reality called the Oasis and I have hidden the some Easter eggs somewhere in the virtual world and if you are the first one to find these Easter eggs I will give you controlling share of this company and you can do whatever you want with it and you will become the richest person in the world and so immediately there's a mass surge where everyone tries to find these Easter eggs and about 20 years go by and nobody finds them. And eventually people give up. They think it was a hoax. Uh, but there becomes this whole subculture of people who feel that in order to find the Easter eggs, they need to understand the creator, the, the, the Steve Jobs like character. And because he was so much into like 80s pop culture, there becomes like this resurgence 30 years later of a whole generation of people who become aficionados uh, of the 80s pop culture. They know the movies, they know the music, they know the commercials, they know the toys, they know the video games, all this stuff in a hope in hopes that they will somehow stumble across these hidden Easter eggs and eventually gain control of the Oasis. So the movie basically picks up right at that point where it's this generation later and you have these younger people and they're they don't know a life other than the life where they interact with this Oasis virtual reality. And the main character finds one of the Easter eggs right near the beginning of the movie. And so suddenly people realize, oh my God, this isn't a hoax. This is for real. Someone could earn, someone could win this prize and be in control of this Oasis and essentially become a, a billionaire overnight. And it just spawns this race of people, some of which have pure motives and want to control the Oasis because they think they can make 
their life and everybody's life better and you have you know the evil corporate people who just want to control it and earn money and monetize everything and then you have this race through the virtual world embracing 80s pop culture the whole way so that was a whole lot for me chris you had a chance to watch it i want to hear what you think well okay well you just know coming into this that a movie with this many gen x references is going to be something that i would just love right I hope so. You would be wrong. Oh, my God. Chris. Steven Spielberg has made a lot of great films, and this is not one of them. I am sorry. This I this is 140 minutes of my life that I will never get back. It was so, not man, good. I, not now, a good movie, man. Oh, not I, I good. feel so much like Yancey right now. I know. I had this movie that I loved, <laughs> and I thought, oh, Chris, you're going to love this movie. You have to watch this movie. It's now so Now you great. know what it's like to be Yancey, oh. right? You know, when he would nominate oh, these movies. It was so funny. My wife, at one point, uh, she lasted about 10 minutes into it, and she's like, well, the music is great, but this movie sucks. She got up after like 10 minutes, and she left me alone with this steaming pile of crap that I had to sit through. It's, okay, so it's visually interesting. I will give you that. But it's just too goddamn busy. Like, there's just too much of a good thing. And, you know, that's a, this movie is an example of that. It's just too busy. Like, it's got so much going on in every single frame. And I understand that Spielberg's message comes at the end, right? You know, he's, he's basically saying you got to slow down. You know, you just got to take some time and appreciate life in the real world, nice and slow and enjoyable. So I get it. You know, that, that message isn't lost on me. But for me, it's it's poorly told. Like, Spielberg isn't just a great director. He's a masterful storyteller, right? But this is really poorly told, I think. I, I, I don't... Oh, man. I mean, it just falls flat for me. I mean, he, he doesn't tell a story. He just crams a bunch of stuff on the screen to confuse the hell out of everybody. In E.T., he tells a story. In Jaws, he tells a story. Here, it's just a mess. This movie ranks up there with 1941 and always as one of his worst films. Oh, oh I can't believe you feel that way. Yep. Oh, my God. Yep. Chris, I'm going to accuse you of being a dinosaur, man. You need to. <laughs> <sighs> and why, and why I, am I a dinosaur? Because I just don't, I don't like how there's so much going on visually at one point or what. The movie just, I, oh, God, it's a mess. It's a I mess. Just thought, I, thought, I, I was so sure. I'm like, I've got a winner for you. <laughs> I've got it. It's, I know you don't like the sci-fi futuristic dystopia movies, but this has all this pop culture stuff that I know you love, and it's got all these visuals. It's like, as you watch it, like I, so let me tell you, mm-hmm. when the movie came out, I was very excited for this movie, and a buddy of mine uh, enters a lot of contests on a very regular basis. This is one of his hobbies, and he's always winning stuff, and a lot of the times he wins passes to see advanced screenings of movies. And normally he goes with his wife because she loves movies as well, but she travels for work a fair amount. And from time to time, he'll give me a call and he'll say, hey, I got passes to see something coming out this week. Are you free? You want to come with me? And uh, he knew I really wanted to see this. It worked out. He brought me to the advanced screening and I was blown away. I loved it. I couldn't believe how good it was. I enjoyed it. That was – I think that was on a Wednesday night and the movie was was starting in theaters the following Friday. The following Friday night, I had to bring my wife because she had read the book as well. And I said, we're going to see this. She's like, you just saw it. Was it that good? I'm like, I thought it was that good. We have to go see it. Uh, she liked it but didn't love it. Um, not nearly the extent where you didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I liked it even more the second time around because now that I was familiar with how the movie version of the story played out, I could look for those Easter eggs and I could watch like every every scene has all this stuff jam-packed in there 
And for me, that's what I wanted. And so whereas the first time you're watching the main characters, you're trying to listen to the dialogue and understand what's going on. The second time through, I could sort of mute that and focus on the peripherals and realize, oh, that thing off to the left, that's deliberate. Oh, look, that's a thing from something I know. Hey, look at that thing on the right. That's something else from something I know. May not be completely relevant to what the narrative is on the screen at the time, but um, it's a movie about finding Easter eggs that's full of Easter eggs. And it's like, I just love that about this. I understand what you're saying. Like, and, and, and it is cram full of a lot of this stuff. Um, Go, it's going back to Spielberg for a second because I think it's worth just discussing him because it's I can't believe that he directed this movie. I mean, Spielberg could do a lot of things, but there. But that, that being said, there's some things that he just cannot do. Like if you look at 1941, he kind of painfully showed that he he can't do comedy, and if you watch Always, he showed that he can't do romantic comedy drama type things, right? And here in this movie, to me, it shows me that video games just aren't his thing either. It's like that old Atari 2600 game. Remember based on E.T.? Yes. Remember it was like widely considered to be like the worst video the worst game, game ever, ever made? Yeah. And I'd say this is the worst video game movie ever made. Oh. Like that's that's where the, those things are. You and I have talked before on this podcast many times about Spielberg. And we have said that Raiders of the Lost Ark is basically like a masterclass in direction, right? We've said Absolutely. that a couple of times. Absolutely. And yeah. you, you could also say the same thing for Saving Private Ryan, I would argue. Because yeah. it's all about action, pace, and plot. And when it comes to action, when you look at Raiders and Saving Private Ryan, Spielberg opens the movie huge, right? With an unbelievable over-the-top opening. And then he gives the audience a chance to catch their breath, right? And starts to tell his story, right? That's masterful, masterful filmmaking and masterful storytelling. But in this movie, it's just nonstop action and just images just flying at you from every single direction. There's no pace to the movie. There's no plot. There's no strong characters to motivate the story. It's mind-boggling to think that this is the same director as the director of Raiders and Saving Private Ryan. I just can't believe that Spielberg directed this movie. It's unbelievable. Wow. Unbelievable. I, I, I just still can't get is it, I, oh, on, the <laughs> hand, on the one hand, I'm just so not surprised you don't like I know. But on the other hand, I'm so surprised you don't like this movie. Like, <laughs> well, let me ask you this question, okay? Because this, yeah. this came to my mind as I'm watching this movie. Who is this movie for? It's for the Gen X people. How is, is, I don't understand how this isn't like – how you're not – eating this up with a spoon and going, oh, give me more. I can't believe how much I like this movie. It is crammed full of Gen X references, obviously. Like the Tootsie Pop commercial reference and and uh, even the one thing that jumped that out at me was there was a poster in that big guy's apartment that says uh, re-elect Mayor Goldie Wilson from Back yeah. to the Future, okay? So, so it's got all that, right? But Gen Xers won't like the movie because it plays like a modern video game. It's just too busy and loud and confusing. And millennials and younger people are not going to get half the pop culture references in it. And it's definitely not for kids because they say shit in it too many times. And there's even an F-bomb that they drop at one point. This movie is an absolute mess. It's a mess. It doesn't even know who its audience is. Oh, man. And it's so funny because since you've come on the show, it's like, you know, you haven't had that opportunity to... You know, have me like refute one of your films like I used to do with Yancey's, but this was one. Yancey, speaking by of Yancey, by the way, he'd be very proud of you because I thought once he left the show that we might finally be done with the whole dystopian future crap movies. But no, you dropped this mess on me. Oh, I, I, I don't even know what to say, man. It's like <laughs> defend your uh, movie. I, I mean, yeah, well, I, I'm just so blown away. Um, I, honestly, Chris, I, I'm not I don't it, it's. 
I can't think of what I can say to you to change your mind. Like, I mean, you've seen the movie. You are, you know, you feel the way you feel. Mm-hmm. I'm disappointed you feel that way. Uh, I'm surprised that you feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, and I get what you're saying, especially when it comes to Steven Spielberg. Uh, you know, this is not Raiders of the Lost Ark. But I think you have to keep in mind that this movie is a fairly faithful adaptation of a book. And I think where Raiders of the Lost Ark was more of a – not that Spielberg wrote Raiders, but I think Spielberg had a, a better understanding of of the story that he and Lucas were telling uh, with Raiders. And I'm sure that there was a lot more collaboration involved about like – Here's how the plot needs to happen. Here, you know, like you said, it's, it's oh yeah. It's when you when you bring yeah, and, and you, you know? bring in um, a, a scriptwriter like Lawrence Kasdan, you know, you're, yeah. you're going to get like the best of the best, right? Yeah, and like, on Raiders, not on this, by the way. Right. So in this in this one, I mean, you've got the uh, you've got the book by Ernest Klein, and you've got the screenplay. Which he also had his hand in, which I've, I've learned was part of the deal when he sold the rights to the movie was that um, that was one of his conditions is he, he had to be allowed to submit the first draft of the screenplay. Um, and if they didn't like it, they didn't like it. They could go with someone else. But he was confident that he could adapt his movie faithfully enough for the screen that they would like it. And they obviously did because they still uh, – they used it and they gave him credit for it. And I, I'm thinking if perhaps – that might be why it, it may not to you feel like a Spielberg movie in the sense that he probably didn't have a lot of flexibility when it came to changing the broad strokes. Now, I do know that, um, like, for example, the scene with uh, that's based on The Shining, the Overlook Hotel, yeah. none of that is in the book. The, what they do in the book is completely different. Um uh, one of the th- one of the sort of staples that they they were trying to uh, work in was a scene that's related to the original Blade Runner. But at the time, the Blade Runner sequel was being filmed, and there was a concern from the from the studio that if this movie referenced the original Blade Runner, it might overshadow or even take away from the sequel that was coming out. So they basically said, "No, you can't use Blade Runner." So they uh, they they had changed it. That whole scene with The Shining that was all completely brand new and 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 done for for the movie that's not in the book. Um, so again, Spielberg did have an opportunity to, to help with that part. And they talk about how they, they explored a few different options on how to achieve what that scene achieves by referencing some older pop culture. And Spielberg jumped at the idea of using the shining because it was done by his friend, Stanley Kubrick. So he felt he had, um, you know, a sort of a deeper understanding of that particular piece and, and was able to incorporate it into this movie in a way that he felt did it, just service um but one yeah. of the one of the i'm just gonna jump because i because yeah there's that the whole shining thing and, and and the shining is an important movie it really is and looking back on it and it really does matter but uh, i i, I it, it felt like a like a like a side story it didn't really kind of connect in with things the other one was the um when they're dancing to stay in alive Yes. You know, there's that. And, and, and like it tries to be this homage to that, you know, great piece of sort of Gen X pop culture. Right. But God, this movie's a mess. Uh, it, I mean, if you want to watch a good dance scene with that song, like go back and watch the intro to Saturday Night Fever. You know, or better I, yet. I thought you were going to send me to Airplane. Yeah, be, I was going to say better yet. Go and watch the, you know, the scene in the dive bar at Airplane. You know, like I, there's something to be said for paying homage to Gen X pop culture. Hell, I do it every week here on the show. 
But this movie's a mess, man. I mean, there's here's the thing. There's absolutely no reason for all this 80s stuff to be in this movie. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's set in like 2050 or sometime in the future, yeah. right? And so the guy that made the video game that you were talking about, um, you know, the the, the you know, and the, the lead character is playing the, his video game, right? And it has all these Gen X references in the game. But but the guy that made the game would only have been born in like the late nineties or something. So it, it doesn't even make any sense that he would have this connection to like stuff from the seventies and eighties. It I just I know, it's just such a mess. I just I seriously this this movie is from the guy that gave us Jaws and Raiders of the Lost Ark and Schindler's List for crying out loud. I just I don't understand it. You and I have talked many times on this show about how we say there's movies and then there's films, right? We did a whole episode based on that premise, right? right? And Spielberg has made films and he's made movies, but I think this is definitely a movie. Would you agree to that? Absolutely. Yeah. It was funny. Like I mentioned, my wife got up and went to bed after the first 10 minutes. And the thing was, she turns and she looks at me and she says, you're not allowed to do the podcast anymore. <laughs> That's how much trouble you're getting me into, Kate. <laughs> oh, man, I tell you. And I, I just kept thinking, too, as I'm watching this movie, I'm thinking, like, I'm just watching it. It's just so busy and there's so much going on. I'm like, it must have cost so much to make this movie. So I had to go and look it up. $175 million. And I just kept thinking the whole time I'm watching this movie, man, could you imagine how much better the world would be if they would have spent all that money on something else? Like, first, the world would have $175 million injected into some sort of, I don't know, useful initiatives around the globe, and the world also wouldn't have this movie in it. Wow. <laughs> I, I'm still, I, I just can't believe you're not coming around on this. No. That, you, wow. Okay. This movie is all style and no substance. It's You know what it is? It's like a massive sugar rush. You get this shot of adrenaline, and then it's over. Like, think of it like this. If you watch Jaws, it resonates with you. There's an impact. You watch Saving Private Ryan, it resonates. There's an impact. Schindler's List, you know, again, it resonates. There's an impact. You watch this movie, it's over. And it, when it's over, it's just over. You know, it, it's, it also reminds me of like a remake of Willy Wonka on steroids. <laughs> Seriously, all about getting this golden ticket and then just these keys going on. And I don't know. Wow. I just, okay. Yeah, I just... <laughs> I don't know what to say about it. I just didn't dig it. But again, please tell me what I'm missing. What am I missing that is, because I mean, you also like Gen X pop culture. You're you're a fan of it, right? I mean, don't say oh, you're absolutely. not. I know you are. I'm, uh, hey, I, I'm not. The, uh, there are not many years difference between you and I. It's only about four or five years. So we, we grew up more or less in the same time. And uh, whereas you, you latched on to the 70s more than I did, I definitely latched on to the 80s. And for me... Um, this to me was like sort of like a walk down memory lane. Like I would, I, when I watched the movie, it had so many of these pop culture references. Like the idea here is that the guy who created the virtual world is supposed to be, was supposed to be our, our, our age, our culture. Like he, he grew up in the seventies and eighties. And when he finally started to do his own business and create this virtual world, he, um, populated it with all the things that he loved the most, the video games, the movies, the, the whatever. And so as, as a viewer watching this and seeing this virtual world full of all the things in pop culture that I love the most, it, it, it makes me 
long for this to actually be a reality. Maybe not to, you know, to the extent that it is there, but you could – I don't think it's hard to imagine that we could get to this point in the not-too-distant future where everything is done virtually and it may – may not look exactly like he's presented it, but you you got to think that the people who control these kind of virtual environments um, are going to have a lot of sway over what they look like and how people interact with them. And if the people who are the brains behind it are like you and I and have this love for pop culture, it's going to be full of this stuff. So I don't know. When I watch it, it's a part of it to me is getting to – see those things from my younger days that I that I loved and feel nostalgic for them. I loved the soundtrack. Like it's full of the great eighties music. Um, uh, you know, you talked about the staying alive dance scene. Um, you know, like things like that scene in the nightclub, just there's tons of visual references. There's there's um you know, there, there, there's a lot of stuff that's pulled into it. Now, you've said that you felt that it was too much, too much too soon. Um, just too much I, in general. It was just too I busy. Don't know. I, I like for me, I like that's what I liked about it, that it was just so chocked full of it. And the idea that the people that interact with this virtual world bring to it whatever they like. And so in this case, they go to this dance club that's clearly like an 80s theme pop culture dance club. So as you look around, the people that like all the avatars you see that you got to think are represented by other players in the game all bring something to it that they love. And in this case, it's like an 80s style bar, 70s slash 80s style bar. So it's like all the characters are dressed in the 80s clothes. They're playing the 80s music. They're they're trying to imitate the, the dance moves they've seen from the 80s. Um, like that to me, that's that's what I liked about it. That's what I wanted to see that it, it hit all the right notes for me. Yeah, and I mean, I'm I, yeah. it, I'm surprised that. It didn't seem to do that for you. Well, I mean, and like I said, I mean, I'm, nobody likes, you know, Gen X pop culture more than me. You know, I mean, I'm the champion of it, right? But <clears throat> and you would think going into this that I would love all that stuff because it's, you know, chock full of it, but it all just seems That's to be. That's exactly what I thought. I thought that I know, exactly. I know. You know what, Chris? I think the, uh, here, I, I think I figured it out. Please, please tell me. Explain to because me. Because there was no reference to Happy Days or the Love Boat. <laughs> that, like, was, that was it, was it? At the start of the movie, if they found out the character's avatar's name was like the Fonz or something, or uh, in the race, instead of having DeLorean, if he had like Fonzie's motorcycle. Yeah, then I would have loved it, right? been like, this is the greatest movie I've ever seen. Spielberg's a master <laughs> movie maker. Like, he needs to make Ready Player Two. Come on, when are we getting the sequel? Come on, this. <laughs> But because it wasn't referenced, the shows that you loved the most aren't in there. It almost, I think you feel cheated. You're like, hey, where's my happy days? Where's my love boat? Where's my three's company? I don't see that in there. Screw it. This movie sucks. <laughs> I honestly don't think Fonzie can save this movie. And Fonzie can save a lot. Because, like, I mean, I, I again, just going back to what I said, like, I am a huge champion of Gen X pop culture. That's what I do. That's why we started this podcast. So I could just talk about that, that stuff. And you would think going into this movie with, that has all these things that I would love it, but it's just so disjointed and thrown. It's like, it's like the seventies. It's like the eighties just threw up on the screen here. And, and again, you'd think that I would still like that, but it was just so disconnected for me, it just seems so odd. You would think that I would like looking for all those things. This is where it's it's kind of hard to explain because you think I would love that, like going through and seeing that poster of, you know, of reelect Mayor Goldie and all that stuff. You think I would just love looking for all that stuff. And 
And I just didn't because I think because the story itself was so poorly constructed that that it just really got me. And like I say, Spielberg is a masterful storyteller. I feel like he's a 70 year old that needs to maybe just maybe he just needs to take a step back at this point. You know, like I don't know. Like, I mean, is he past his, you know, his prime as a director? I mean, maybe it's just time to go. Hey, you know what? I've had a hell of a career here. Maybe I just need to like, you know, maybe just sit this next one out. You know, you know, at this point, I don't know. You know, so I think if you in real life, if you were any character in this movie, mm-hmm. I think you would have been some of the you would have been employed by the uh, the the IOI company. You would have been one of those because <laughs> I'm evil in the back room in the in like where they're all dressed <laughs> the same and they're all like doing research. And then when the big boss guy who doesn't know crap about pop culture has to like sound important and he's got the earpiece and someone's like, "What did you think about this?" You'd be the guy flipping through, going, "No, that character's name was blah blah blah, and he went to this school." And no, no, no that was from this director. That would be you. You'd be telling him all the right answers. That's who I think you would be in this movie. <laughs> I'd be I'd be one of the the evil drones. It's basically what I mean because I didn't like. <laughs> the movie <laughs> uh, yeah no like again it's it, it's so funny and this used to happen on the podcast a lot when yancey was on too he'd you know put a movie out there and be like oh i think you're really gonna like and he'd just be like so disappointed but again going back to that kind of dystopian you made an interesting point um about the dystopian you know future movies you're like well this can really happen well you know people living next to nuclear waste can happen too and i don't want to see that uh, a movie. If I want to see that, I can just go to freaking New Jersey. Now, that's a line from Tootsie. But, you know, what I mean, like, it's just it doesn't necessarily mean that it's something that we want to see. And, and and I mean, I love the 80s. I love all the references and stuff. But I don't know, man. It's just a big disconnect for me. Well, I think uh, this is going to be one of those uh, examples where I've recommended a great movie. You don't like it. And we're going to just agree to disagree. And you're going to ju- I, I got to call up Yancey and just, uh, you know. We'll have a we'll have a little uh, uh, chat session, and I'll just we'll, we'll try and figure out we'll try and solve the mystery that is Chris and why he doesn't like some of these great movies that both Nancy and I have recommended to you that you just can't get into where we bang our head against the wall and go, wow, why doesn't he like this? I know you, yeah, you and Yancy should definitely get together and be just to like you know just have a like a bitch session about me. <laughs> You know, just uh, yeah. we you know, call God. them nights. We we do that every week. Oh, there you go. Okay, <laughs> so um, what would you rate this movie out of ten? I'm curious to know. I would give it an eight out of ten. Absolutely, Holy eight mackerel. out of ten all day long. Maybe eight, well, let's say eight out of ten. Eight out of ten. I would give it a two, oh. only because it's it only gets a two versus a one because it's just because it is they put a lot of work into it visually. You know what I mean? So there's a lot going on visually, so I got to give them that. But it's just too much. It's just, you know, just because you can do it doesn't mean you have to do it. I don't know, man. I, I You know what I think, Chris? How old are your kids? Are we like 8 and 10? Uh, 6 and 10. Or 6 and 9. 6 and 9. He's almost 10. Yeah. Okay. So let's say your oldest, uh, you know, you've already talked about how, uh, you know, he, he likes some of the same music you like. You show him some of the yep. old TV shows, some of the old movies. So yep. it's, it's, I got to imagine that as he becomes a teenager, he's going to be very well versed in the pop culture from Generation X, even though he's he already not is. Generation. Yep. He yes. already is. Yeah. So I think if you show him this movie when he's like, let's say 14 or 15 years old, mm-hmm. he will love it. I think that. He is part of the target audience because I think he'll be able to identify with these characters who are not of that previous generation but know enough about it and enjoy it 
that they want to see this and and he's going to like watch it and pick out all these Easter eggs and he's going to get that, oh, that's a reference to this other thing and that. Not that he lived through it like you and I did, but I think he has been exposed uh, to it. He's been exposed to it and he enjoys it enough that I think he's going to love it. So, you know, we'll come back. We're still doing this podcast five, six years from now. We'll uh, we'll we'll have a viewing party and uh, we'll have your son watch the movie. We'll we'll try not to sway his judgment we'll just tell him hey here's a movie we want you to watch and tell us what you think and i'll bet you he enjoys it a lot but this goes back to my point that i mentioned before who is this movie for because if it's for a teenager you know that happens to have a parent that made sure that he you know has exposure to lots of gen x pop culture we're talking about a pretty narrow you know audience here you know, again, I, I don't know who this movie is for. It doesn't make any sense to me. I'm trying to figure out, like I say, Gen Xers aren't going to like it because it's just too high tech and video gamey, and video gamers aren't going to like it because they don't understand the references. The whole thing, I just don't get it. I just, I don't know. And and I'm talking basically from the first couple of minutes. The movie started out, and I was just like, wow, really? I, I just, I'm not. I don't know. Right from the beginning, I had that impression. And it didn't let it sour me. I stuck through the movie. And I'll be honest with you, this is one of the first times that I honestly felt like I was going to turn the movie off and still do the podcast and say, you know what? You know what? I turned it off after 15 minutes. I couldn't watch anymore. Tell me why I should have left it left it on. And I thought, oh, no, I can't man. do that. I got to leave this on. I got to I got to sit through this. I got to do this. But like I say, my wife basically said I'm not allowed to do the podcast anymore after this. If I have to keep giving your crappy movies to watch. I'll have to like sneak them and watch them on my own. So the next one's got to be a good one, I guess. I don't know. Not to put any pressure on you, but. <sighs> I don't know. Yep. I don't I, I Chris, I said the same thing you said when I turned it on. You, you, I believe the quote you just said was, wow, really? Except I went, wow, really? Like, <laughs> it's all in the inflection, isn't it? It's all in the how you say <laughs> how it. How you say it, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. There you go. Okay, right. well, we will, we will agree to disagree we on this movie. You love it. Up. I hated it. Probably hated it more than any movie I've had to watch on the podcast so far. But, you know, that's just me. Um, it doesn't mean we, we're, we're still friends. It's all good. We can still get together and watch, you know, Caddyshack and play Escape from the Death Star. And it's all good. And I'll still cash in all my my winnings from the Oscar pool and all that stuff. It's all still good. Uh, We will redeem ourselves with, you know, good picks going forward, I'm sure. But right now, hey, this is the way it happens. Sometimes we just have movies that we just don't agree on. And this is one of them. But on that note, let's have some fun with Caveman. Okay, so I tell you what. Since uh, the movie is based on video games. Uh, we're going to go with a video game-themed segment for our Fun with Caveman this week, okay? okay? So here's how it works. As I'm sure you know, most video games have a bad guy or a set of bad guys. Like, for example, if if I was in this movie, I'd be one of the bad guys, apparently, according <laughs> to you, right? So mostly when you play a video game, there's an antagonist, right? Or Or more than one antagonist that you have to kind of defeat in some way. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to mention the video game bad guys, and you got to name the video game that they're from. So, for example, if I was to say the bad guy was Donkey Kong, you'd be able to say that the game was... Donkey Kong. Exactly. See how all easy right. this he, is? He already, so he already gave me the, the easy one in the example. Now, let me. in all fairness, Chris, yep. let me tell you this. I am not a video game guy at all. Growing up, I never had a video game console system in the house. I didn't get a computer that played video games until I was a lot older. And by then I just had no interest in them. So I know them from the pop culture of, of it all. 
I do not know video games from actual hands-on playing experience, so I suspect I'm going to do quite poorly on this one. You're more of an RPG guy, I guess, right? Uh, well, and tabletop RPG at that, yeah. not even the video yeah. game version. So, yeah. Okay. And, well, and I mean, and at how long we've known each other for about 25 years, and I've always really sort of thought that you were more of a video game guy than you no. are apparently. But uh, so yeah, this one's going to be an interesting one. Uh, so, you should, Chris, would you give me video game or drug instead of Pokemon or drug? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about go- I honestly thought about doing Pokemon or drug. I was so close to doing that this week and I was like, oh, I'm gonna do that and I thought, no, I think I'm gonna do this instead. So All here's right. what we're gonna do. I mentioned the video game bad guy or bad guys and you just name the video game that it's from. okay? All right. Here sure. we go. okay first one. Blinky, Pinky, Inky and Clyde. Pac-Man. <laughs> Yeah, see, you got this. This is easy. And I'm going to mix up some new ones, some old ones. I'm going to make you, you're going to be right in your wheelhouse here, okay? Okay. So you got the first one. Congratulations. Very good. Thank you. Okay. The Ender Dragon. I have no idea. It's Minecraft. Minecraft. My kid plays Minecraft. Okay. How about uh, King Pig? King Pig. I have no idea. It's Angry Birds. Do you ever play no. Angry Birds? Not on your Never phone? Have, no. All right. How about Balrog? You know who Balrog well, is? I know a Balrog is a demon in in the Tolkien Lord of the Rings. No. So, no. Yeah. Other than that, I got nothing. No, it's Street Fighter 2. He was originally called Mike Bison because he was created and named <laughs> after Mike Tyson. But when they brought the game from Japan to the United States, they are like, hey, man, we don't want to get sued for Mike Tyson, so we changed the name. So of or worse yet, they don't want Mike Tyson to show up at their door. <laughs> so apparently, was, yeah. So <laughs> they don't want to get sued by Mike Tyson. So let's change it to a name of a Tolkien character. We'll get sued by Tolkien. Oh, that's great. Okay, Ganon. I have no idea. It's The Legend yeah. of Zelda. The Legend sure, of Zelda. Okay, here's a... This one should be an easy one. I don't know. Collie, Ugg, Slick, Wrong Way, and Sam were all enemies in this video game. Sorry, those were all different names or that was one person's All name? different names. Collie, Ugg, Slick, Wrong Way, and Sam. I, I have no idea. It's Cubert. Did you ever play Cubert? No. Not to Z80s. Well, that's what we're going back in time. You obviously love 80s references. You maybe watch this crap fest, Ready Player One. Okay, Willie, Roper, and a Bobo. I have no idea. Double Dragon. Never played Double Dragon? Uh, no. All right, here's an easy one because this is really from a movie too. Ed Dillinger. Who is Ed Dillinger? I have no it doesn't sound familiar at all. Tron. Sorry, Tron. Didn't you ever watch oh. Tron? Come on. And then my favorite video game from when I was a kid, I'm saving till last, was Singe. The bad the bad guy, the, the antagonist was Singe. Do you know what, what that's from? It's a dragon. It's a dragon. Singe would it would indicate fire, uh dragon. No, Frig, I don't know. I, I honestly have no idea, but Dragon's Lair. Dragon's no, Lair was my daring. yes was my favorite. I didn't know that the dragon actually had a name, but yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, did you ever play that when you were a kid? Uh, not very well, but, but I you knew it's Dirk the Daring, Slayer. so so you have, have some connection yeah, to it. I have a Dragon Slayer T-shirt that I wear a lot when I go and play Dungeons and Dragons, and everyone's like, "Oh, that T-shirt's great!" My God, that's such a cool T-shirt. But you don't even really. I used to. I had the high score in the arcade when I was a kid I, on Dragon Slayer. I could put. Uh, uh, I could put 
it was like it was two quarters at the time. I put yeah, the two quarters and I could go right to the beginning to the end, not be, not losing one life. Right to the end. I can do the whole wow. thing. I was so good at that game. That is an impressive skill that should still be on your resume. Yeah, I, I it, it is. It is. It's a page one of the resume right at the top. Dragon's Lair Champion 1985. It's right there. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, obviously, video games aren't your thing. No, just like Steven bag, Spielberg. Baby. Just the same thing. You have something in common with Steven Spielberg. Video games are just not your thing. <laughs> just like him. <laughs> so, so anyway, I, I, I thought some of those that you might get. You got one. You got Pac-Man. So, I'll give you that one. And, and I, I knew Donkey Kong. And you knew Donkey Kong. That was just a kind of a lead-in, you know, to the. Whole I, I thing. thought. I thought the only one that I knew I would know is was if you had Bowser, who I know was the bad guy from the Super Mario Brother, or uh, just I guess Mario Brothers. Isn't no. Bowser the bad guy from Shaanaa? Uh, well, it depends on your point of view. Yeah, I mean that's another Gen X reference, you know, Shaanaa. <laughs> no, if you had said what you know band Bowser? Bowser play for, then I would know. <laughs> you would know that one, Shaanaa. Yeah. Oh, I'm impressed. Oh, they good. used to perform on solid gold all the time. <laughs> See? Marilyn McCoo coming up next. Bowser and Shaanaa. Come on, I know these things. Oh, man, that's I'm impressed. I'm impressed that you know that. <laughs> I like Sha- I like Bowser, and it was so funny. I, I encouraged my youngest son. He got this this stuffed animal penguin, and he's like, Daddy, I gotta give it a name. I'm like, dude, you gotta call it Bowser. He's like, yeah, I love that name. He calls it Bowser. Has no idea why. And I named it after the guy from Sean and Ah. So just go figure. So one, again, one of the things I love about Bowser is we talked about this last week. I love game shows. Mm-hmm. He used to appear on a lot of the game shows. And oh so yeah. I see him show up on these on yep. these reruns, and he was so good at them. Oh yeah. It's like the character that he, when he's singing, like you think, oh, this guy's a moron. And then you watch him in these things, you're like, wow, this guy really knows what he's talking about. So he used to come, go on a match game PM. All the time. I remember seeing him on there, and he was on Password, too. So Password, that's yep. why I used to see him a yep. lot, yeah. Yep. God, we know so much of this stuff. So Again. much useless stuff, but not enough useless stuff. But clearly, when it comes to video games, I knew the first one, and that was it. Oh, well, it's not really your wheelhouse, just like Spielberg. So it's all good. So anyway, um, I guess, you know, on that note, we should kind of leave things off. We'll come back next week. We'll take a look at a different topic. We'll figure out something we're going to do for next week. We'll do a top five list again, and then uh, I'll nom- nominate a movie. Hopefully, I'm going to come up with something better than this i don't we'll figure it out though you'll probably just hate the next movie that i nominate just out of spite i was just gonna say no matter what you nominate i'm gonna say i hate it i'm, I'm gonna be say, like i couldn't get through it i'll be like we're gonna watch star wars the original star wars from say oh that movie was terrible god Wait, it was awful star wars episode one the first one <laughs> yeah yeah no i'm not watching that <laughs> the, yeah, you don't know, watch what i think of that but uh, you know i'll make sure and nominate something half decent after that but uh, in the meantime i'll tell you what again if you want to reach out to us on twitter join the conversation at c mcbrian that's for me or at amaron underscore dm that's for derek or you go to popcoesworld.com you'll find all of our contact information there if you enjoy the show at all make sure and leave us a review on itunes that would really help us out a lot we'd obviously really appreciate that but until next time this is chris mcbrian for Derek Myers, caveman himself, saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 